The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 251. One day, I shall come back. And that's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Panelsy! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the third Doctor story, Day of the Daleks. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, follow The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. Uh, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or on the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should also hit the bell to get notifications. I want to tell you about another show on the SQPN network called The Catholics of Oz. It features our friends from Melbourne, Australia, who talk to us about all kinds of interesting things from an Australian Catholic perspective, including often Star Trek and Doctor Who and other great sci-fi series that we talk about here. So if you like The Secrets of Doctor Who, I'm sure you'll enjoy Catholics of Oz. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found, or at sqpn.com slash oz. That's O-Z. <laughs> and so uh, let's talk about this Doctor Who story. Uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? So this is the third Doctor story, Day of the Daleks, and this time Doctor Who does the Terminator 12 <laughs> years before Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator movie even comes out. The Doctor, Joe Grant, and Unit are living through a crucial moment in history in the late 20th century. Sir Reginald Stiles is leading a last desperate peace mission to stop World War III from breaking out. If he fails, it will lead to a century of warfare that will kill seven-eighths of humanity, allowing the Daleks to invade and seize control of the Earth in the 22nd century. The rebels of the 22nd century are determined to stop this, but... Their knowledge of history is a bit muddled, so they're sending people back in time to kill Sir Reginald, not realizing he's what actually is trying to stop this. One of the rebels is willing to commit suicide by blowing up the house in which the peace conference is to take place, though in actuality the explosion of the house is what touched off the Third World War. The Doctor and Joe are transported to the 22nd century, where they meet with the Rebels and realize that the Rebels' actions are creating a bootstrap paradox in time, and their efforts to change history are actually what lead to the century of war and the Dalek victory. So, they go back in time and make sure that Sir Reginald and the World Peace Delegates are safely out of the way when the Rebel blows up the house, allowing the peace conference to proceed. The end. So this was the uh, premiere of the ninth season overall of Doctor mm -hmm. Who and the uh, the third Doctor's second season. So, And it's the re first time the Daleks have been in color. It's their return mm -hmm. after five years in, in, uh, to Doctor Who. So that, that was a pretty big deal then. Well, not the first time they were in color because they were in a movie in color. 
Well, true. That's true. Oh, Twice. first time on TV. Yeah, I guess that's Yeah, I know. And that being so, <laughs> now, there is kind of an interesting thing about this uh, episode if you watch it on BritBox. Mm-hmm. So in 2011, uh, To Entertain, which used to be BBC Video, the home video arm of the BBC, had this reconstructed, this, this, uh, this, this serial reconstructed. So they had the audio and the video remastered. They had new special effects put in. Because there was some, like, the original, as, as it relates on the TARDIS Wikia, there was only like two Daleks that invaded the house at the end of the story. Right. And so it, looked, it, was, it was really concerning. So they had the whole thing completely remastered for the, I guess it would have been the, 40, the 40th anniversary of this story. And the Dalek voices were also kind of a concern because the people they had do them didn't do a very good job. So they had Nicholas Briggs come in and remaster the Dalek voices. So they, those should sound familiar. So the because I was watching this on BritBox and I'm sitting there going, boy, this does not look like 1972 special <laughs> effects for Doctor Who, and yes, because they weren't, saying. they were 2011 <laughs> remaster. So it's kind of like you know the Star Wars movies, except for they did a better job because in this case the Doctor shot first. <laughs> right. Yeah. The uh, so Nicholas Briggs is the like one of the key guys at Big Finish, and he also does the Dalek voices on the TV show in yep. New Who. Now, actually, these days, one or two Daleks attacking a house would not be considered underwhelming because mm. they've built it up like one Dalek could kill a world or something. Yeah. Right. But they hadn't done that yet. And so even though this episode or story was a fan favorite, uh, John Pertwee and Katie Manning actually didn't like it and thought that the, the attack on the house by the Daleks and the Ogrons at the end was underwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I can understand that. I've never been a big fan of one Dalek can kill a whole planet. <laughs> but the the remastered version from 2011 is really dr- impressive. I mean, they yeah. use digital stuff to make the attack look much bigger. And the the fut- I'm I'm sure that the futurescapes they have oh, yeah. of the 22nd mm-hmm. century also are digitally altered and they're really impressive. Yep. And then of course there's the one that just leaps out at you, which is whenever they shoot a disruptor at someone, that person just comes into pieces. Yeah. It's, it, it is, and it is not in a fakey way. It looks somehow organic. It's like splorp. That person <laughs> just disintegrated exactly. into a bunch of little chunks and it's uh it's it's very effective and the doctor kills more than one person that way mm-hmm. in this story I, I i have to admit i was a little confused watching this because it did look uh, un, unusually for 1972 unusually effective cgi and other stuff like that and and i i'm like wow the, like the the uh, the, the actor nicholas briggs must must really do a very good version of these guys from the 70s as Daleks. <laughs> I was very confused until I went and I read, you know, that what you were saying, Father Corey, that this was essentially, if you, if you watch it on BritBox, you're watching the, the 2011 DVD version. Yeah. And there is, there is one point where they, they had, me, had to make a kind of a different choice. So the end, or, you know, of course, the, 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 this, this um, cliffhanger at the end of episode one, episode two, they just took that and cut it into the next episode as the opener. And you can hear the closing music start, and then they change it a little bit to move into the... Oh. So you'll hear a little bit of that little scream, that little stinger at the yeah. beginning of the closing, closing music. So it's just, and it's the first time I did, it's like, okay, that was kind of a different choice. Huh. Interesting. I didn't, 
I didn't notice, but uh, if I watch it again, I'll, I'll I'll definitely look for that. So the creator of the Daleks, Terry Nation, did not write this story, mm-hmm. and that explains why it's not the standard Terry Nation story of the Daleks that he tells over and over. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very inventive story. The Daleks actually are not in it that much, mm-hmm. even though they're the thing that's driving the plot. They're not they're not rolling all over the place screaming exterminate constantly and and that's um uh, that's good i yeah. think there's a, there's a there's a british comedian i forget his name maybe alistair something but um he does these little, little short videos and one of them is a short video of the popular time travel show <laughs> which is a a a parody of doctor who and at the end of it, after he's done his little, his little sketch, we cut to, you know, these words appearing on screen dramatically. Doctor Who will be back in the crushing inevitability of the Dalek. <laughs> and, then, and then you see this Dalek flying through space. It's us again. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny. Yeah, it is a very different Dalek kind of story. Like, it so it, the Daleks have reinvaded Earth because they in the first Doctor's time we had the invasion of Earth, the Dalek invasion mm-hmm. of Earth, which the Doctor thwarted, and so it's sort of the the a reinvasion of Earth in the same sort of time period. I think isn't it? Mm-hmm. I forget what the first yeah. one was. Yeah, twenty second century. Yeah, it, it twenty one sixty four was when the Doctor left Susan. I am not sure how that story and the seventh doctor also confirmed that like they're going to take over in the 22nd century. Yeah. Right. So I, so I don't, this may be one of those situations kind of like it in Genesis of the Daleks where the doctor was able to mitigate something mm-hmm. without preventing it altogether. I see. Well, I see. And at one point a Dalek says we have invaded earth again. Right. So almost right. like this, they know that this is the second time they've done it. Well, yeah, you've got a time paradox here because of, you know time loops paradox, like the bootstrap thing uh, that Jimmy was yep. talking about. So, um, so we the the episode does well. Actually, before we get into how the episode begins, I want to I also mention that the Daleks also have um, a slave race that they have as their muscle this time. Well, two mm-hmm. uh, humans and ogrons. Well, that's true. Yep. And the Ogrons, I don't know if they're new for you or not, Dom. This is yep. their first appearance, but they go on to appear in a lot of additional. John Pertwee stories. These yep. are the first time, yeah, I've seen them. Um, okay, they they look kind of like uh, an unholy union of the apes from Planet of the Apes and the orcs from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> they have that, that kind of a look okay. to them, <laughs> and uh, and they were interesting. Cause, you know, they're dumb. They're just they're muscle. You know, and, and yeah, and which is interesting they're, choice. They're not as dumb as pack leads. <laughs> that's right. No. That's right. Uh, it's an interesting choice to go with them instead of just having the Daleks be the you know the the physical threat uh but also having these other creatures as well um so I thought that was an that was interesting it makes them more they're more, definitely more mobile than a Dalek is and that might have been a practicality standpoint as we need to have uh you know a villains who are more mobile than Daleks well and that's a recurring thing with Daleks is you know the need to create a more humanoid thing so you can have actors portraying it yeah that's why i like in the 1960s dalek stories you had the robo men 
Yeah, or the Dalek right. men, who were who were men under Dalek control, but they weren't like weird hybrid Dalek human beings, which we've had. I don't think is very successful. They tried that mm. in New Who, and I yeah. didn't like it. Yeah, that and uh, floating Daleks, you know, because we can do that now in CGI. Yeah, yeah. The the Ogrons though are they say that they're that they're very loyal. And they're not as intelligent as humans, which apparently some of the humans, like one of the human leaders, the controller in the 22nd century, claims that Daleks are not as good at security or at fighting as humans are, even though they're more physically impressive mm-hmm. than humans are. They're not as clever. They're not as good at tacticians, things like that. <laughs> but who knows how much of that is inter-slave race rivalry. <laughs> right. right? So as we, the story begins, we see the doctor trying to get the TARDIS con, uh, console under his control again. Because remember, we we saw him off planet, and he explains, "Well, I only got off planet because the the Time Lords got me off planet." And then he something goes wrong with the with the the, the console, and a second set of him and Joe appear in the doorway from a different time stream or something. I thought we were going to see them. Like do this from the other point of view at another point in the story, but we never got that. So it was kind oh, of that's funny. so new. Who of you? Yeah, I know. yeah exactly. <laughs> this was just this was just a visual gag they threw in because they had right. to. Why? Why? Yeah, they they have no no desire to be. We have to tie up all the loose ends. Just have fun with it and move on. I guess. Yep. Uh, so they're at this this uh, this house, this government house. It's a an estate the, in in the sense uh, from we would say in a in uh, America. And called Otterly House. This is where Sir, Sir Roger Stiles is, and um, he has this encounter with one of the rebels, and then refuses to tell anyone about it because the guy disappears <laughs> in the midst of this assassination attempt. And uh, and there's all, all this discussion about it being haunted, and it's very interesting. The doctor has to show up with the brigadier and Joe, and this guy just does not like. Even though he's had this horrifying encounter. Just does not want to talk about it. Does not want anything to do with it. I've got business to do. You, you know, you leave me alone. I thought it was very interesting how they play. I thought he'd have a bigger role in the story for one thing, but uh, it's interesting how they played that character. A couple things to think about. One of them is so he they do talk about it being a haunted house. So sort of yeah. And haunted for haunted house, you could virtually read base under siege. Mm-hmm. Sure, because that's essentially what a haunted house is: is a base under siege. Second thing, the reason the guy vanishes is because time travel. And so this is one of the very few times in Classic Who, or even in New Who, but especially one of the very few times in Classic Who, where time travel is more than how you get to the story. It's an actual element in the story itself. Mm, That's true. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah, most of the time in Classic Who, now that you mentioned it, it's just... Where this is how we get there. We don't do a lot of traveling around and all that sort of stuff. That's that's a good point. Uh, so the uh, doctor and Joe are going to hang out in the haunted house overnight. To you know that the, that's a classic mm-hmm. trope of you know if a house is haunted, you have to stay there overnight, right? And uh, Joe yeah. is nervous. The doctor is drinking wine and eating cheese and uh, raiding oh, the cellar. Ma- <laughs> doctor makes makes himself well at home. He finds all the good wine and the good cheese and crackers, <laughs> yes. and he's happy he, as can be. Having some gorgonzola. Uh, I like the scene where Captain Yates catches Sergeant Benson 
trying to get a, a little uh, bite to eat and a drink of wine for himself, and then drinks Cause the he, wine because he's he's <laughs> starved. He apparently has not been allowed to eat yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then Yates and, drinks and, the wine. <laughs> yeah, Rank Rank has his privileges. <laughs> yes, R H I P or I P. The Rank has R H I P. Yeah. Um. Then uh, more of the rebels do show up and attack the doctor, thinking he's uh, Sir Rogers. And I, it's great that the doctor fights off the future rebel without even spilling his drink. He's holding his drink and he's got this like he's doing his uh, Venusian Aikido and like and holding his drink at the same time. I, it's just it's very Bondian of uh, of the oh, doctor. Yeah. It's, it's very awesome. Um, and then uh, so, so at one point he talks about the Blunovich limitation effect in relation to the time travel yeah this was this was something that they introduced they they actually did things like this a couple times at least a couple times in the john pertwee era where they were trying to give on-screen explanation to fan questions Mm -hmm. like uh how can the tardis be bigger on the inside than the outside and this one is like well why can't you just why can't you just go back and change anything you want and well, crossing your own timeline will trigger something called the Blinovich limitation effect. And they don't give us a demonstration of that here, but it's meant to be an on-screen explanation for the fans to say, "Stop asking about that." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then later we'll get more on-screen visual representations of it because now that it has a name. The mm-hmm. writers can play with it. Okay. Yeah. And we have a fifth Doctor story coming up called Maudwin Undead, where it is a notable element in the plot. Right. I don't recall uh, if they call it the Blinovich limitation effect. It's effectively. That's what yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah. Also, there's a real-world counterpart that I don't know that they knew about called the Nobokovsky chronological protection uh, principle um, that does something similar at least is proposed to do something similar in real physics, but mm. yeah. <laughs> so uh, when Joe accidentally transports herself to the 22nd century, which is funny in, in itself, uh, the, the controller who's the head human collaborator with the, with the Daleks, he convinces Joe that he's the good guy. And I like this, the, the, the writing in this because it sets up this conflict that will happen later where, although they don't play it out as much as they could, but it sets up this conflict where the Doctor knows that the future human collaborators are bad and Joe doesn't. And there's and there's a, a moment of confusion. They could have done more with that. I think they just ran out of plot space for it. But mm-hmm. uh, it is interesting that he plays it that way. Yeah, they also, and they definitely ran out of time in, in this. There is another scene because... The previous appearance of the Daleks was Evil of the Daleks with Patrick Troughton, mm-hmm. where they had killed them off. Mm-hmm. And that was meant to be the end of, we're not going to do the Daleks on Doctor Who anymore. And now it's five years later, they're bringing them back. And they wanted to have an explanation for the fans of like, well, what happened? Because Patrick Troughton infected them with the human factor. And right. they, were, they were stopping to be the, such bad guys, and they killed each other off as a result. And uh, they had a scene that they, I guess, filmed. I gather they filmed it, but it had to be cut for time where they explained that the Daleks that had been infected with the human factor had been exterminated. And so that's <laughs> why we're back. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, we did watch that one. That's the one where Victoria joins the second Doctor. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. 
And we should mention, too, that this is a four-parter, but it's a four-parter that moves. It there's, does. Yeah, there's very it's, little downtime in this yeah. serial. I, I sat down to watch, like, I was going to watch a couple one night and the other two the next night, and I watched it all in one go, because it just yeah. can't <laughs> move one of the, which is so great. We could, you could yeah. understand where they had a lot of stuff that they might have wanted to put in there, but they didn't have room because they had it pretty mm-hmm. full of other good stuff. You know, and speaking of the uh, the controller tricking Joe, he tries to do the same thing to the doctor when he gets captured in the 22nd century. Uh, but the doctor isn't isn't tricked because he's seen the prison factories. You know, he gets captured mm-hmm. while he's in you know, watching the humans being treated like uh, chattel and, in, in, you know, ex- exterminated and that sort of thing. So he, he's also been beaten up by the Daleks, Ogrons, and seen a Dalek. And so right. it's like, okay, how much more evidence do I need? Seen a Dalek, <laughs> right. beaten up by Ogrons in the service of the Daleks, and human slave labor factory farm. Mm. Yeah. I wonder who I can trust here. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, speaking of the Ogrons, the doctor, I noticed, doesn't hesitate to use the disintegrating ray gun on the Ogrons. Uh, yeah, twice. No. <laughs> splorp, splorp in rapid succession. <laughs> yes, t- uh, two rounds rapid. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is not a doctor who hesitates. The, also, the other thing is something which the third doctor always manages to do is find a vehicle to race away on. He finds a Jeep at one point. He gets a a, tri- a tricycle, uh, like a motor trike at another yeah, point. The old three wheel, three wheel, three wheel ATVs that you haven't yes. seen in years. It was great to see one. Although the 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 uh, three wheeler chase was kind of comical, since the Ogrons were literally running faster than the three wheeler. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like this isn't much of a this the, the suspense here is not all that great. <laughs> the three wheeler did have two people on it, though. It had both the Doctor and Joe. Yeah, it did. Yep. It did. It did. They, they were they were fairly quickly surrounded and captured. Uh, <laughs> There is an interesting moment where we have the controller trying to talk, you know, trying to justify himself to the doctor. But, you know, I saved lives by mediating the worst of the Dalek initiatives. And this is a classic sort of quizzling collaborator mm-hmm. justification. And the, doctor, the doctor calls him out as, oh, you're a quizzling from a family of quizzlings because he says they've been in the service of the Daleks for several generations. We should explain who Quisling was, yes. because mm-hmm. lots of people are not going to know that. Quisling was a real guy from Norway, and his name was Vidkun Quisling. He came to prominence during World War II, and basically he was a Norwegian activist and political leader who kind of became the head of a Nazi puppet government there. Mm. And so because he ended up heading the Nazi puppet government in Norway, he has gone down in history as a traitor. And so later in the 20th century, people tend not to remember him today, but later in the 20th century, if you called someone a Quisling, it meant you're a traitor to your people. Right. Yeah. Sort of like the French collaborationist government, the Vichy France. Vichy France, yeah. Or Neville Chamberlain, the... the, uh... (laughs) the British prime minister who declared, we will have peace in our time. And then World War II Yeah, although out. he wasn't a traitor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's not perceived as a traitor, uh, just as a fool. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, But someone yeah. like a traitor would be here in America, Benedict Arnold is perceived as a traitor. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Oh, you're a Benedict Arnold. And so this controller, who's nameless, by the way, we never get a, yeah. a name, which is interesting. Well, you don't need a name, apparently, when you are that shiny. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> 
the makeup it, was interesting. He, yeah. 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 For the 20th, 22nd century people, haute couture is wearing, no matter what sex you are, wearing silver nail polish. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And having some kind of sparkly pancake makeup grease all over your face. Yeah. I guess to make you look more metallic and thus more like the master race. I mean, it's a, it would be an interesting, subtle uh, statement they're making in the in the makeup and costuming is that uh, right. the collaborators tend to want to look like their masters. I, I didn't think of it as wanting to look like the Daleks. I just thought they're this is they're they're wanting to look futuristic. I guess, right? Yeah, but. Well, the- Wow! Everyone in the at least all not maybe not the rebels, but right. all of the non rebels in the future are really <laughs> ridiculously shiny. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna, I was going to say you know, the rebels weren't wearing that kind of makeup. They looked you know pretty ordinary as far as that's concerned. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that was done as a conscious choice of se- separating out the collaborators, those who were working mm-hmm. with the Daleks versus those who were fighting against them. So, Jimmy, you mentioned in your recap that this is essentially the plot of. I think the Terminator. Termin- yeah, I think it, in fact, if to be like Terminator Two, where they go, the Terminator comes back to kill the uh, the Doctor who, or or to what was it to stop them from killing the Doctor who creates Skynet, um, mm-hmm. or something along those lines. And it is interesting, like this idea of people like rebels from the future against a mechanized race or mechanized overlord coming back to kill or or to stop from killing, depending on which Terminator movie you're talking about. Um, and then the the mechanized race sends back its, you know, somewhat human-looking machine or servant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it is fascinating. I wonder how much it was the, the Terminator was inspired by Doctor Who, perhaps. I mean, it's not an obvious story, is it? I, well, I, I, I mean, if you're going to do a time travel story set in the present, um, and you're, you, you have... Yeah. You can either travel to another time, or you can have have another time travel here. Right. And if it if if another time travels here, and it's just oh yeah, we're doing a historical mission. Okay, big deal. How does that interest me <laughs> mm-hmm. in, in the present? True. So you need to create drama involving the other time, and having someone from the future coming here to stop a nightmare future is a is a logical development. Mm. But yeah, I had it in my notes. This is kind of a, a reversed version of the Terminator, where you have the humans coming back to stop the uh, setup of the machine empire. Whereas in the original Terminator, you have a machine coming back to stop the humans from overthrowing the machine empire in right. the future. Right. And, and the this and the other part that seemed like Terminator Two to me was this idea of when you know you're trying to stop the future, but you end up causing it. By your yeah. actions, mm-hmm. and that you know that so that you know, that that paradox there too, which was interesting, and that's that was an interesting moment in in this was when you know the doctor has to convince the rebel to not suicide bomb the the delegates. Yeah, and that doesn't go so well. Um, <laughs> this is so the rebel. His name is Shura, right? He's the one that gets left in the twentieth century. And he's got this Dalekanium explosive, which is the only kind of explosive. It's something they stole from the Daleks, and it's the only thing that will affect them, you know, that'll get through their right. their defensive shell. So his plan is to destroy Otterly House with the Daleks in it 
And originally, in the original timeline, it was going to have the uh, all the delegates in it too, mm-hmm. and because the they're based on their knowledge of what happened in history, Sir Reginald gathered all these people together in this house, and then he like said, "Hang out here for a second, guys. I got to go to the washroom or something." <laughs> and then there was this explosion that killed them all, and that's what started World War III. And it was perceived that this was just something. He was essentially eliminating competition. Mm. He wanted to take power himself. And none of that's true. And I can understand Shura not knowing that that it's, that Reginald's motives are, are actually pure, uh, you know, based on his education in the 22nd century. He has this idea Reginald is a rat that mm-hmm. he's been brought up with. And he so I understand why he would want to kill Reginald, but as soon as you realize I'm in the house and the peace delegates are upstairs and I have a Dalekanium bomb, <laughs> yeah. Maybe I shouldn't use it. Right. Maybe that's what where the explosion came from that started the war. And so I had in my notes, Shura should have had a better briefing on how the war started. <laughs> yeah. He surely did. Yeah. <laughs> surely should have. <laughs> well, okay. give him his credit, though. I mean, at that moment, he was probably wasn't exactly thinking straight either, though. He just knew, here's my last chance to take out this traitor. And mm-hmm. yeah, but... I, I want my time travel agents thinking constantly. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> These are so, these are military people. They don't always think straight. So. Yeah, just following orders. Uh, the interesting thing is the, the the how they have the controller story in, which is he eventually realizes that the doctor can stop it all from happening and facilitates it. You know that it's mm-hmm. he he redeems himself in a in a in a little way anyway uh, from what he's done. And they set that up earlier where the Daleks are giving him orders that are basically impossible to fulfill. For like, we want you know. 10% more production out of this facility in the next work period. And he realizes there's no way to do that. And mm-hmm. we start to see him take agency behind their backs. He's talking to his assistant ladies who are just as shiny as he is <laughs> telling mm-hmm. them, you know, I want you to bring me the production numbers personally because mm-hmm. I want to see them. And you can tell he's starting to have second thoughts about serving the Daleks. Yeah. Yep. Right. Right. So, uh, Father Corey, any final notes on this episode? Um, I kind of get a kick out of how, you know, they've got this uh, canal. You know, Britain's got lots of, you know, canals that they, mm-hmm. they can go down their, their boats and everything on. And with a railroad bridge over the top of it, and there's a tunnel. And, of course, you'd think that tunnel would be just through the bridge. Oh, no, <laughs> it's got, like, this sprawling network of tunnels <laughs> underneath the railroad tracks, I guess. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, that's kind of an interesting choice for how they get into it but i suppose it you know what was available at least as far as the on-site filming yep and then they you know they there's a point where when uh joe first gets zapped to the 22nd century she's talking to the controller and seeing where you know he asked her to you know of course out of concern for her and not actually trying to figure out where you know the control where the, the rebels are or where when and where exactly do you come from and she says about this house and and you've already told me the year but what date was it and of course, they don't actually right. say the year because the, it's this is the unit somewhere in the somewhat immediate future, but we don't exactly know when, right. but it's close enough to 1972 type dating. Yes, true, true. Uh, Jimmy, anything? 
So we have another mention of Joe's escapology when she and the doctor are tied up and yep. she gets to use her, her escape skills to help the doctor out. Also, this time, the Daleks, uh, instead of wanting to put a, a motor in the Earth's core so they can drive the Earth around the galaxy, <laughs> the Daleks just want to mine it for minerals. And so that's what they're doing. They're using it to fund their expansion into the galaxy or provide the materiel for their expansion into the galaxy by mining the earth dry. And uh, this episode has a stinger where Sir Reginald is talking to the doctor and Joe, and he's like thanking the doctor for saving the delegates because now the peace conference can go forward. And of course, this is back during the Cold War when they're filming this. I mean, nuclear Mm -hmm. war is an ongoing big concern on the public's mind. And so at the end of the episode, you know, they don't tell us that the peace conference has succeeded in averting a war, but they're playing on public fears at the time. And the doctor, uh, the last, like the last line in the story is the doctor turns to Sir Reginald and, and is urging him to go on with the peace conference. And he says, we all know what is at stake. Right. Mm. Right. And wham, that's the end. So we've got our anti-war, give peace a chance message, which is great. <laughs> and they've noticed how much better they did it here than in yes. Orphan 55. <laughs> yes. we They right. could have done the same thing in Orphan 55 where they didn't give us a shrieking monster cutaway as the stinger. They just had a line of dialogue of we like, we all know what's at stake if things don't change. And, and, and it was so much better. They made their political point. That's all fine. And they did it in a way that was not absolutely ridiculously over the top, obvious and stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and spray painted on our screens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. That is a good point. All right. I think that should do it for Day of the Daleks. Uh, We should wrap things up here, but I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Ned G, Chris G, James L, Lee H, and Drew M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think of this third Doctor story, The Day of the Daleks. Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be coincidentally, speaking of Cold Wars, be discussing the 11th Doctor story, Cold War. Until then, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, rank has its privileges. Right. This is going to be fun.